everyone, and thanks for coming back. Today, in honor of Black History Month, we are going to talk about Jordan Peele's debut film, Get Out. As always, you don't have to watch the movie in order to listen to the episode, but we always recommend it as we will never stray away from spoilers. So, let's get rolling. I'm your host, Audrey. And I'm your co-host, Sheree. So sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse. So, um, my summary of this film as a first time watcher was, uh, Chris Washington is having the big meet the parents weekend with his girlfriend, Rose. The only issue is that they don't know he's black. Rose is insistent that it won't be a problem, but once they arrive, things start to get odd, especially with the family's black employees. Chris starts to get more and more uneasy until he finally decides it's time to get out. Ooh, good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my brother and I, anytime somebody says, like, the title of an episode or the title of a movie in the movie, we just get all excited. We're like, he said the thing! Sometimes so I, I think it's it. very cheesy, but in this film, it, it's very jarring when it's said. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which I was reading, and I guess um, Jordan Peele intentionally titled the film Get Out because it's based on um, what black audiences are screaming at the movie screen during, like, thriller movies like this, just yelling at the characters to get oh, out. Yeah. That's why he named the movie Get Out, and I'm like, I love it. <laughs> I love that. <sighs> what were your first impressions of this movie? Or should I go first because this is my first time I watching I want to hear it. you go first. I knew you were going to make me go first. <laughs> um... Okay, so honestly, I did not know what to expect. Um, I knew this movie was a huge sensation in the black community and that it was a thriller movie. So that was pretty much my only frame of reference for what to expect from this movie, Um, which I think was good because then I could go into it and still have the plot be a total surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, the movie was like... I don't want to say fun, but it was fun. Like, it had really comedic moments in it. Very, like, very Jordan Peele-esque. But not intuitive comedic moments like it wasn't just like cracking jokes the whole time it was more like the timing of stuff um or the way things were said the delivery was sometimes comedic and I was laughing about things that I wouldn't normally laugh about in Mm -hmm. a movie you kind of have to like watch it to understand what I'm saying but um but I will say I did see most of the plot coming I was able to guess everything as the movie was going on it's one of those I don't I wanted to ask you if that was supposed to be that way or not. You just feel uncomfy a lot of the film. So it's not that you can't see it coming. It's just like, how is mm-hmm. it going to unfold? Right, right. And I, I can see how that might have been, like not worrying so much about being original as far as terms of like what the overall plot of the thriller was. Because I feel like we've reached a point in like, with like thriller and horror movies that everything's been done at least once. What You're I... not really going to come up with something like truly original. So then, yeah, it was more about how it was structured and if you were uncomfortable watching it, which was, I think, the overall purpose was to make your audience uncomfy. Yes. And so like the first time I watched this as biracial, I'm also like, I'm like, okay, you don't want to go into it and be like, oh, of course you can't. Like, y- y- you want... It's so hard to describe this film being biracial, I think. <laughs> because part of you is like, okay, you you, you do kind of feel uncomfy going to, like, a, an all-white community of sorts. Or, you know, you're being introduced mm-hmm. as... Not an outsider, but, you know, you're in, being introduced into, like... we're. I mean, we're not that far still from, you know, segregated times in America. You know, there's still people who oh, sure. live alive. Oh, sure. I mean, like, just even... A lot of the imagery in the movie was very evocative of the fifties, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, and that was you know back when black people were very still much getting integrated into American society. Like that is within living memory, right. is the integration of black people into normal everyday culture, and and that was definitely evident throughout this whole movie. And so yeah, and so watching this, you know, for the first, I was like, okay, I know it's obviously not going to end well, but how's it not going to end well? I, mm-hmm. I I definitely didn't expect Rose to be the like not the mastermind, but the one really but like driving like really driving the car. 
so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think when I got to that Which part of the film, <laughs> yeah, I think when I got to that part of the film, I was like, dang it. I really wanted to believe in one of them. It's interesting because I called that from the beginning. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, when you watch the movie and then you immediately have to watch it a second time because you're like, what are all the things everyone was doing to get him to that house? Like, you, mm-hmm. you even, like, when they get pulled over at the beginning, she's like, no, he doesn't need to show you his ID. Well, showing his ID would have been a paper trail. <gasps> Interesting. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I actually, like, really got irritated by that scene. <laughs> She's smart. Because I just, I hate, she, yeah, she's very smart, but I hate, like, that real-life interaction of people being, like, immediately overly aggressive with Mm -hmm. cops. So I was, like, really uncomfortable for me watching that whole interaction. But, uh, like, as we said, the whole point is to make you uncomfy. So it gets uncomfy, like, right off the bat. Yeah. And, again, my first impressions of this film were just mind-boggling. Loved all the symbolism. I was one of those people that after they saw the film immediately went online to look up all the theories. And what's funny Ooh, is, yeah. I mean, a lot of people did. And Jordan Peele actually went on YouTube. He did he did something on YouTube where he actually went over the fan theories and were like, these are correct. These are wrong. These are interesting. And <gasps> no I like way, them, but they're that's not correct. Awesome. Love that. That's I wish, awesome. I wish I had directors no idea he did, that. did that more. Like, I'm looking at you, Chris Nolan. Um, <laughs> it was like where Stanley Kubrick is laughing somewhere. <laughs> um, but this film, like, if you pay attention and know your like films, especially speaking of Stanley Kubrick, he's thrown um, two <laughs> Easter eggs in this film, at least that I could find. Uh, no way! Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But this film is one of those where you know I love good lighting, good camera work, and symbolism. Mm-hmm. This film is mm-hmm. chock full of symbolism, and I. I was gonna say this is like it. bread and butter for you, then. Oh, it's my bread and butter. Again, it's one of those films where I love being able to go and after a film is over and like theorize. That's what I love. That's what I loved about um, WandaVision. That's what I loved about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. WandaVision like, was a great any, one. For any that. film that is chock full of Easter eggs, or you're you're trying to you know. You're looking for clues or cluing for looks, you know. Stuff that makes you cluing cluing for looks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First you. impression, this is a this a this is a um nine and a half out of ten. Nice. I think I gave it like an eight and a half out of ten just because I saw so much of the plot coming. I don't know if that's just me and being a writer what did you and see? like knowing everything. Like, girl, I kid you not, everything. I saw everything coming. I called Rose being in on it from the beginning. Um, I called the hypnosis. Um, I called uh, the, like, Chris being for sale. I called... The Chris being for sale I saw as soon as all those cars pulled up. I was like, oh, it's an... Oh, yep. no. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. It's an auction. Oh, my gosh. I know. So there was, there was something, and I forget... When I noticed it, but I don't remember if this was before or after that, but there's this scene when um, there's actually a Jordan Peele cameo and he, it's when Rod is watching TV with Sid, the dog, um, mm-hmm. and Jordan Peele's voice is, can be heard on the TV saying a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Mm-hmm. Um and and then the remaining commercials, it's just commercials, but it's it, the remaining commercials are talking about like aging and muscular breakdown and stuff like that. But they are very audible if you're paying attention. Like the voices are very clear on the TV. Um, and obviously everything is done on purpose. You could have anything. You could have Jeopardy on. You could have Wheel of Fortune, whatever. Do you want to hear another um, fun fact? Jordan so, Peele is wait, also well, the voice of the dying deer at the beginning. I saw that. <laughs> I'm like, really? I'm like, But okay, um, but I'm 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 listening to that commercial. I hear I hear that line about a mind is a terrible thing to waste, and I immediately put all the puzzle pieces together. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'll bet there's some cult, and this is some sort of eternal youth thing. Mm-hmm. So I called that, which like that's that's pretty much everything. Like I I called all of that from the beginning. So I I knew. It was like I knew all the main plot points, but again, like you said, like I just didn't know 100% how they were going to play out. But it was about like 15 minutes before stuff happened that I'd be like, oh, this is going to happen. Oh, this is going to happen. But I'm like, I'm with you. uh, As soon as like he says, 
like, okay, let's go play bingo. And he has one finger up. I'm like, oh my gosh, Chris is for sale. Yep. And then they put up their bingo cards and I was like, no, it's an auction. And I, I love the part. This is where my mom started to sit down and watch was the auction <gasps> scene. And they the, the camera slowly pans to show um, or zoom out to show that he's for sale. And you're like, oh my gosh. I knew it. I knew, I love I love that Jordan Peele just zero holds barred on the imagery and symbolism of mm-hmm. that. Like, oh, mm, like talk about make you uncomfortable. I was like, oh dear God, that is a black person auction. It's crazy. Like, if we want to talk about symbolism as the film goes on and like things that matter, like, like I have o- so much. Let's talk about the opening song. To. Did you look Ugh. up the opening Swahili song? I did. I did look up the opening song. Hold on. Let me pull it up here because I had the lyrics up. Two seconds. Here we go. Um, Sekila Kwawaenga was the Swahili song. And it was it was sung entirely in Swahili except for the word brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but according to the composer, the voices in the song represent the souls of black slaves and lynching victims trying to warn Chris to get away. The translation mm-hmm. of the lyrics is, brother, run, listen to the elders, listen to the truth, run away, save yourself. So, specific. I think I looked Ugh. up, it's brother, hold on, listen to the ancestors, run. You need to run far, listen to the truth. Brother, listen to the mm-hmm. ancestors, run, run, to save yourself, listen to the ancestors. And I was like... Right. Imagine if you know Swahili like, and you're watching the beginning of this film. You're like, "Well, I know where this film is going immediately." The but only you, Swahili you... I know is the opening to The Lion King. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> but like you, this this film opens first. I mean, it gives you spook vibes immediately because they're using like the Stanley Kubrick blue at the beginning for the titles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then. And that's the beginning. And then you go into Childish Gambino's song, which I'm not going to go over the lyrics, but they have several in there where it's um, mm-hmm. Stay Woke. But I don't it's think about it's about Stay Woke, Don't Close Your Eyes. Exactly. Those are the those are the lyrics you should specifically be paying attention to in that opening song. Yes, I caught that. So good. Like the, the which, foreshadowing which, is, is incredible. Yes, Redbone. Uh, yeah. The foreshadowing is incredible. I'm not a big fan of that whole album. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's fine. Um, But that... The, the opening two songs immediately tell you, uh-oh. Be uncomfy. Uh-oh. <laughs> Which, okay, like, let's, uh, I feel like we're going to be jumping all over the place. But really, most of my stuff, most of my notes on this movie were about symbolism. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's basically, and- yeah, yeah, same. It's the whole, it's the whole thing. Um, just like, and it's, which is interesting because like last week we were talking about like poorly done symbolism with the hat thing in Howl's Moving right. Castle where like, unless you know about it, you're never going to catch that. Um, but then with this movie, like you're, you're going to catch so much of the symbolism because it's more straightforward, like traditionally evocative symbolism. Um, so like the very beginning of the movie, you know, it, it shows... Chris getting ready, um, you know, cuts himself shaving. So blood, that's obvious. But what is Rose doing? Right. Rose is picking up breakfast for them. But not just like breakfast, okay? Like she's not getting like an an egg McMuffin or something and just coffee or she's not just getting coffee. She's looking at pastries, okay? Literally fattening him up for the slaughter, all right? (laughs) That's what she's doing. She's buying fat pastry cakes for to to plump him up for the slaughter. That's what she's doing. See, I, so just like symbolism right out the gate. I don't see it much as that because they are so prone to being like, you need to have the best body possible. But still, in the manner of, I wouldn't say so much as fattening him up as much as keeping him fed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, I can see it that way. I think it was more keeping him taken less care of. About, I think it was less the like the literalness of of him being like fattened up but more the symbolism of of giving him something fatty because he was going to be a sacrifice at some point you know like it was it was uh foreshadowing um let's see where do i want to hop to if we're if we're on symbolism let's talk about symbolism um i want to talk about color with you okay because i'm sure you noticed this but i got really hung up on it because it's really interesting so I noticed fairly quickly, I mean, like, first of all, when they have the party and everyone starts rolling up for, like, the family party um, and they're all, they all roll up in, like, 
black Lincoln Town cars and like FBI looking SUVs. <laughs> um, and I'm like, geez, what is this? Like a funeral? Uh, but also, if you look at how they're all dressed, everyone at the party is wearing black and red. Some combination of black, white, and red. And and remember, I told you I knew Rose was in on it. I look, what's Rose wearing? Red and black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think those colors mean? Because I mean, like traditionally, when you think of like black meaning something, it usually means death. So red generally <laughs> meaning blood. I um there's a there was an early fan theory I remember reading where it said red was representative of conservativeness, and then blue <laughs> because hear me out though. Chris and Andre are both wearing blue. And they're like, oh, it's representative of Democrats. And I'm like, I feel like that's a little um, on the nose. I wouldn't say that. I think it's too on the nose because and, actually, because I was reading something and Jordan Jordan Peele specifically said that like when he cast the dad, he cast him for like because of his uh, role in the West Wing. Mm-hmm. And he said that specifically he wanted like the white cast members to just like reek of white liberalism specifically right so he wanted them to be like white democrats so i don't know that i buy the red thing i don't either more i think it's more uh, traditional as something that's imposing or threatening you know dangerous Mm -hmm. red danger (laughs) red for dead stop (laughs) you know you know red Mm -hmm. as as it normally would be used in you know the symbolic use Mm-hmm. Life, death, right. and, threat. Mm-hmm. And black meaning, you know, just death in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so so I think those are pretty straightforward. But I did I did notice, like, if you go back, every one of the party guests is all wearing some combination of those three colors of, of black, white, and red. Um, but I did notice something else, and that's brown. Um, like, the father and mother, Logan, for one, is wearing, like, this weird, like, like turn of the century, like, 50s, not turn of the century, 50s, but turn of the century, like, brown getup with this, like, ridiculous straw hat. Like, he looks like someone plucked him out of Tom Sawyer. And then the mother and father are both wearing brown suede. Mm-hmm. What did you, like, did you clock that at all? What do you think about that? I never paid attention to that as much as just the people wearing black um, if you mm-hmm. catch, I don't know if you caught onto this earlier, um, in the film where, um, uh, Mr. Armitage is walking Chris around. He's like, oh, don't go in the basement. There's black mold. I caught that. All right. I'm like, of course the basement's sealed up for black mold. Technically <laughs> everything is. is like the cars are black molds of cars. You know, they're, they are Ooh. the vessels that which they move in and the bodies mm. that they inhabit are now black vessels that which they move in. The suits and the clothes mm. are all black, black vessels that which they move in. Mm. Okay. I like that. So the brown color never really clocked me as much as just, you know, normal, like, oh, they're wearing brown because the, what they're going to inhabit soon is going to be brown, if you will, quote unquote. Okay. Okay. I can see that. Um, I did, I kind of in that same vein, they were, they were both specifically wearing suede. Um, like the, the dad was wearing a brown suede, like smoking jacket. And the mom was wearing this like brown suede tunic, which like suede being a type of like leather hide animal skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of where that's mm. one vein that I took it from was like, they're wearing brown skin. <laughs> I, I, um, that's an interesting theory. I never would have thought of that. Right. That's kind of where I, that's one of the, one of the places that I took it was just like thinking about suede being a type of, of leather and mm-hmm. that whole like tanning process and what leather is. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I was thinking it might be is that like they're, they're the hosts and they're the leaders of this cult. So that they have something, a part of their outfits to set them apart from everyone else. That makes sense. Like set them above yeah. everyone else. So they're dressed a little bit differently because they are the leaders right. um, that do this procedure. Um, and and also I think that like they're putting on a facade, you know, that they mm-hmm. have a covering 
over over those colors that mean that are indicative of death because they're trying to be like, put on a face to Chris to keep him comfortable and to keep everything looking normal. So I think it's probably indicative of a lot of things. But I but the point being that them wearing that brown suede has a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, what this is one of the things that. I, obviously, symbolism, it's all done on purpose, blah, 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 blah. But if I were <laughs> I were hosting such an atrocious auction like that, I would be like, hey, guys, why don't you wear normal clothes so they're not freaked out and they'll <laughs> come out in black? Like, come on. Nah. <laughs> nah, they got to keep it formal, wear black attire. Oh, it's so odd. Because, like, <sighs> this is me just, you know, thinking out loud. I'm like, I wouldn't, why would you want to be suspicious wearing clothes like this? It's so odd. Don't be suspicious don't be suspicious <laughs> they didn't get the memo on that one Mm-mm, no um i want to talk about because you you clocked it um chris wearing blue chris and and rod obviously are also dressed in blue rod because it's part of his uniform um but chris is often dressed in blue as well and so mm-hmm. i wanted to talk about what you thought that meant because Blue traditionally is supposed to be like a color of like calmness and tranquility, Mm -hmm. but I think it symbolizes something else in this movie specifically too. So me, I kind of read the, I kind of read the blue as, especially as I was talking about earlier in the presence of contrast to what the other people at the party are wearing, especially the fact that they're all wearing some form of like white also, because they definitely were wearing red and black, but they were also wearing white. Mm-hmm. And they were wearing white and elements of red. So, okay, we have red, white, and blue together in a color spectrum. So I'm like, okay, what does the blue in the American flag stand for? And in the American flag, blue is supposed to signify vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Okay. And that's what our hero is wearing. Okay. Right? I like that. Because I'm like, okay, blue means calm and tranquil, but that doesn't really fit with our character. So in the presence of the other colors that mean something within the symbolism, I'm like, yes, our hero is wearing the color of vigilance and justice. Absolutely. That is what the blue means to me. I love that. I, I You know what? Yes. That's that's why he's wearing the blue. <laughs> I'm going with that. I love that. That makes so much more sense it to does. me. It does. It does. Right? Especially because of how the movie ends and how he is able to, like, triumph over all of them and get out. <laughs> like, yeah, he gets the color of justice because they all get what they deserve mm-hmm. from him at his hands. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy when you go and watch this film and look for, again, this is one of those films that I would highly recommend. Like, if you're watching this podcast, I'm really hoping you've listened to or watched the movie before you listened. Because there is so... I feel like you have to. Like, you're not going to listen to this episode and not have watched Get Out. Because there's so many things to pick up from this film as you watch it onto, like, what's going to happen. So, like... So when the dad is walking Chris around the house, one of the phrases I always loved was, such a privilege to be able to experience another person's culture. Yes! Dude, there were some one-liners in this movie. Oh, and then the line after that, he says, I just like to bring home souvenirs. Is... And I'm like, this boy's mm-hmm. head's going to wind up mounted on a wall somewhere. <laughs> well, that's crazy, too. Be- speaking of mounting on walls, he's like, I hate deer. Mm-hmm. They're all over the house. Oh, 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 I clocked that. Right. I clocked that because I, I, you know, he goes off on this tirade like, oh, if I, I think another one down. I hate deer. OK, OK, let's let's unpack that because that is symbolism in a sentence, because I really think the dad's hatred of deer is supposed to be evocative of the quote-unquote hunt yeah like the hunt okay Mm -hmm. right so that wind that back further in history unfortunately is how black men were treated yeah back in the days of the civil war is they were literally hunted down like animals Mm -hmm. it is his putting his hatred in of of deer so awkwardly in the middle of conversation and they all just kind of like deal with it is a trying to tell you keep keeping that vibe of uncomfiness right of of chris's prey right yeah in, in some context chris is going to wind up prey later mm-hmm. in the movie we just don't know and how he was yet. hunted by and who rose Mm-hmm. Like we see at the end of the film, she's literally, she's literally looking, ha ha ha, love that. <laughs> um, at the end of the film, she's already looking for her next victim. 
Yes! She's literally on the hunt as Chris is in the basement. Top NCAA prospects! I'm like, that's terrible. And Wes is watching the movie and watching her eat Fruit Loops, and he's like, who eats Fruit Loops like that? Dude, and I'm like, and crazy people, babe. Jordan Peele literally did that on purpose. So people, I'm sure he first, did because everything's done on purpose. People first theorized that um, the Fruit Loops and milk were kept separate because colors and white. But mm-hmm. yeah. he actually, he's like, no, 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 no. I just did that because people who eat cereal without milk are crazy. Yeah. He's like, that's it had what nothing to do with and the separation like, of He's like, who eats cereal color? like that? And I'm like, crazy people, babe. Yeah, he's like, I just want to show that she's absolutely insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, oh my gosh, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> the deer, like, the deer is obviously very important in this film in general, and, mm-hmm. you know, we watch at the beginning where after they hit the deer, you know, Chris is watching the deer die and he's, you know, thinking back to his mom and not helping her. And, you know, he's having that moment. And then later in the film, when he's downstairs um, strapped into that chair, we see the deer watching him struggle. And it's just, you know, you go back to that circle of he watched and now it's watching. But even mm-hmm. better, he uses that deer to kill yeah. the dad. The prey taking its power back. <laughs> I was like, wow. Because first of all, who on earth was like, you know what weapon I'm going to get? A deer from the, the wall. The deer head. <laughs> and I loved that, though. It was insane, asinine, and wonderful. I'm like, what else are you going to use, though? I like that. I like that because he already used the, what, it was like a bocce ball or something? He already uh-huh. used that to bludgeon Jeremy. Which Jeremy's character was weird. Hold on, while we're still on the the bludgeoning, I hate to say that. The but while we're there, um, <laughs> they used that song "Brother" from the beginning, the Swahili, as um he is he as he looks towards the deer, you hear some of the Swahili after he knocks out the brother, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. so good. And the other time you hear that song is when Andre's telling Chris to get out. It's so good. Those are only the other two times other than the ending credits where you hear that song come up. The song is used four times at the beginning, those two moments in the film, and the end. And then the end, yeah. Yeah, because we talked about that a little bit before recording was like, for once, I really did not pay attention to the soundtrack of this mm-hmm. movie at all. And it's like, because that wasn't that wasn't a focal point. You had no, like two not. songs, and that was Redbone and and Brother. Well, and the, the Run Rabbit Run song that plays at the beginning. Um, which the beginning of the movie, I felt was like, very evocative of like traditional horror and like thriller movies like mm-hmm. to me it was very like zodiac um it was very zodiac which i guess he was actually going for more for like a halloween vibe like the movie halloween okay but again still still evocative of traditional like serial killer-esque movies that's the crazy thing though about the beginning is I, the stereotype of being a black person in a suburban neighborhood and then he could take it. I like, like knew something oh, bad was going to happen. I also love like, here's the thing too. I hate and love because it's like when you're in that moment and you're like, okay, surely to God, someone's not coming up to take me and put me in their car. Donut crazy. Don't I loved. Weird. I loved his narration though, as he's walking. When, because that's me. Audrey, hear me out. When I was in Baltimore last week, I was walking to pick up dinner, and a car slowed up and like slowly was like by, by me, and I was like, "Oh man, please!" I was like, no. I literally said, Audrey, out loud, I was like, "Today is not the day. Today is not the day." No. Today is not the day, but thankfully someone got into the car and I was like, thank you, God, because I was about to act a fool and run on some ice. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. Which for, pause, everyone, what you're supposed to do in that instance is like turn and run the other way. Which is exactly, Andre did the right thing. turn back around as easily. Yes, he did. He's like, nope, I'm gonna go the other way. I'm gonna just go the other way. I'm gonna come back the way I came. <laughs> I, Wes pointed it out to me. I didn't recognize him because he's he's so clean shaven later in the movie. Mm-hmm. And... And, like, we talked about how, like, having a beard is, like, contouring for men. Right. <laughs> like, that'll change a man's whole facial structure. And, like, I didn't recognize him because he had a beard mm-hmm. in the beginning of the movie. And, yeah. So I did not recognize that that was the guy who had been taken off the street before. It's which, also like, hard because you're in shadows at the beginning. You don't get a clear look Sure, at him. right. You don't get – there's no full straight lighting on his face where, like, the next time you see him, it's in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that does really change the lighting a bit, which talking about lighting on black skin, I 
there was this moment when Chris wakes up in the middle of the night or he's like, he's like still lying awake. Right. And he's lying awake, like with his shirt off in bed. The blue. And the blue, Mm -hmm. the blue. And I thought of you immediately because my brain goes in the moonlight. Black boys look blue. Yep. Yep. And completely different movie. But it was just like, it was so beautifully evocative because it really did. There's just this blue, like straight blue glow across his skin. Again, just associating the color blue with our hero. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was so good. I There wasn't a whole lot talking about like production and lighting and stuff like that. There wasn't a whole lot that nah. I noticed. But there was, a, there were a couple of things which I've, I did see Jordan Peele talking about and talking about like the perception of depth in film Mm -hmm. um, that he had, he did this a few times in the movie because of how much it shows you depth and he had characters running straight at the camera. Oh yeah. Which again, creating that just horrible feeling of unease and uncomfortableness of like Walter just beelining straight for Chris. Not like depth, but like how close some of these characters get to you is uncomfortable. Like Georgina. Mm Mm-hmm. When yeah. they are in the bedroom and she's coming in to apologize to for unplugging his um his phone. Oh, really? Just like that real uncomfy, like slightly lowered close up on her yes. face. And you just keep getting closer and closer and closer to her. And I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable. And it's just like, but I it's want a good, it's a well done space. uncomfortable. Oh, very well done. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, please get away so from well me. You just want like, you're in my bubble. And not only are you in my bubble, you're being weird. You're crying and smiling at the same time. And that is creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question for you. Um, and this may you may have read this in like a fan theory or something, but so we, we saw that both Georgina and Walter are up in the middle of the night. That Walter's just like running around. Um, and Georgina is up too. She's just walking around the house. And and I'm I was wondering the question I asked myself because at that point I already, already figured out they're probably hypnotized, right? You you have a, they're in the sunken place a character, right? They're in the sunken place, sunken place, and and so you have this character we've talked about. She is a hypnotherapist, and um, I'm thinking, okay, so those two characters are probably hypnotized in some fashion, especially when Georgina has that like turn at the mm-hmm. at the patio table, um, so. I'm thinking, because they're both up in the middle of the night, can they not sleep because there's something going on? Because, like, like, their inner brain is under hypnosis? I always thought it's just because they're old. Old people don't sleep very long and they're up at night. <laughs> well, think about it. They're, they're, the, they're elderly. They're the grandparents. They're Rose's grandparents. Yeah, they're the grandparents. Mm-hmm. So I always just thought, like, they're old people up at night. I mean, maybe my... My grandparents kept, I don't know, because that's kind of true. It's There's one of two things that happen. Either your grandparents go to bed super duper early and then are up at the crack of dawn at like 4 a.m. so that they uh-huh. can exercise and then do the morning crossword. That's what my dad's parents did. But you're right. My mom's parents are were up until I went and stayed at their house recently and hung out with them. We played Rummy Cube and they're drinking non-decaf coffee at 10 p.m. And I'm like, y'all are superhuman. Yeah. And then they're, but they're up. They're up until like two in the morning, walking around, doing dishes, talking right. to each other. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? I, Go to bed. I always remember staying at my grandma's um, when I was little that she'd be up late and get up at four in the morning. Blew my mind. Yep. Like she'd be up till 11 or 12 and then she's like up at four, 4.35, watching the sunrise, drinking coffee. I'm like, okay. I guess that's something to look forward to as we get older that you apparently gain superpowers when you hit 70. You just need less so, sleep, which is weird. But I also see I'll it as like, it. You know, they nap throughout the day too. They do nap throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they take little naps. Like my dad on the porch and stuff. does not sleep all night. He gets off work, sleeps, gets up, eats dinner, goes back to sleep, gets up, takes a mm-hmm. shower, goes back to bed, and then he's up for the day. I'm like, my dad takes like three naps and he, like, he takes like four sleeps during the day. Which I have read some science that that is actually better Correct. for our circadian rhythms and that's actually more how we're built. Mm-hmm. We're not built to be up for, you know, 14, 16 hours at a time. Thanks, that, modern society. Right, that apparently it is better for us to have like a a 
trough and crest throughout the day Mm -hmm. and and have little naps and then wake up and do stuff which like that's how my body wants to function anyway because i'm adhd (laughs) so okay so it could be that my theory was was that like as we hear hudson later explain in the movie that like they keep part of their brain part of their consciousness intact like the part that's chilling in this sunken place because you need to have access to your nervous system and everything um so they keep some of it intact and i'm just wondering like you know when you when you go to sleep your subconscious is active and so i'm thinking that sleeping would potentially be problematic um for the whole coagula thing um that potentially what's remaining of their of their host's consciousness would have more power if they kind of turn their mind off and go to sleep that's kind of what i was thinking that in order to maintain control of the host that they have to be awake all the time i the issue with that is you'll die if you don't sleep so i see it more so as the hypnosis is good and like i mean we see um what's the mom's name Mm. mrs armitage (laughs) I don't, I'm just like, the actress's name is Kathleen, I think. Um, Mrs. Armitage, let's just call her that because I cannot remember her name off the top of my head. Um, Missy. Her name is Missy? Mm-hmm. Missy Armitage. Okay. When Missy, I mean, we see Missy several times throughout the film kind of like reset the grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she resets yeah. Andre back into whoever he is now. <gasps> what? I just realized something. What? The whole tea thing, the mom is, is, when they're out on the patio, the mom is, like, swirling her tea because they're having tea, and she taps her spoon on the side of the glass, and mm-hmm. that's when Georgina has her little, like, blip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just real I just put those two things together. Oh, my gosh, that's so interesting. Here's right, the continue. thing, too. This is something, <laughs> funnily enough, I, I want to bring this up because this is important. Hypnosis therapy is a real thing. Um, yes. Um, often when uh, when crime victims are trying to remember things about experiences that they had in order to like identify a suspect, they will be put under hypnosis um, to try to remember details of it. But it doesn't work like we think we d- it does. You in have at all. to accept it for it to work. So, right. for instance, mm-hmm. we, you my can't psych- just, like the mentalist kind of thing. <laughs> right. My psych teacher in high school. He was so cool. He's like. You can use hypnosis therapy. It will not work if you do not believe in it. If you don't let it mm-hmm. work or don't believe it'll work, it's not going to. And he said, you right. know. The, the point is establishing that connection of trust between uh-huh. you and therapist um, in order to. Because I've had a form of hypnotherapy done. It was like a, it was like a sound therapy done um, where you, you listen to sounds like you put on a pair of headphones and you listen to sounds moving back and forth between like the left and the right earbuds like a pendulum um and then your therapist asks you questions and it kind of works like an ink blot test um where you just respond with your gut response and you work through things and to me it felt like it had only been five minutes and i like look up when he tells me to take the headphones off and our whole hour session had gone by it was crazy i don't think it would ever work on me because of my own trust issues (laughs) <laughs> yep, there's that. <laughs> it was not our first therapy session, I'll tell you that. It was like 10 sessions in after but, I was like, okay. <laughs> like, for me, anytime I see, anytime I watch the the first sunken place scene, oh, it annoys the living heck out of me hearing that sound really? again and again. I'm like, please stop it. Mute it. I hate that. I don't like sounds that aren't constant. Like, especially if I'm trying to mm-hmm. relax. Like, I have a fan that goes on at night. Um, I'll listen to rain sounds. It's a constant sound. But sounds like that, when I'm trying to relax, it will just irritate me. So her, the, the spoon twirling or the, the flicking mm-hmm. of the spoon, hated it. Hated it. Interesting. I hate that scene because of that sound. But it's, it's obviously important because she, she's... Right. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. You're supposed to be aware of it. And she's using that scene to see if he's susceptible. Um, and I think, well, I think she's using that because she says, like, we do use focal points mm-hmm. sometime to get a subject to focus. And that teacup was her focal point. That sound was her focal point. It's awful. Because if you think about, like, the whole, like, watch swinging in front of your face thing, that's not really the point. Mm-hmm. It's the focal point, but then also the ticking. 
Oh yeah. Is there's a there's an I hate audible sounds like, like I told you it was <laughs> I, everyone hates ticking sounds. Oh, um exactly so- actually I lied except for me. I like ticking sounds. I hate um it. Wes has a watch on his nightstand and it's actually really soothing for me to have that sound in the background. Oh, it drives me batty. Um but yeah, like that that is the there's like that auditory focal point like I was talking about with my hypnotherapy there was an auditory component with the headphones and the sounds going back and forth. Um so yes, I there was there was a specific case and I can't remember exactly what it was, but the, the poor girl had been attacked and survived her attack and had amnesia as a result of it. And so they used hypnotherapy to try to get her to remember details. And she remembered some details, but they were they were wrong. It was her 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 brain associating different things. But what it did do was reopen those neural pathways of her trying to connect the dots back with that experience. And once those neural pathways started to heal, it was like two-ish weeks later that she woke up and remembered things. Wow. Once those neural pathways had had a chance to heal and re-allow information from that traumatic point in her life to come back through. And that's what I mean when I say like it doesn't work the way we think it does in movies. I mean, even Missy says something to that effect. She's like, because he says something about the pocket watch and she's like, you watch too much TV. Mm-hmm. right it doesn't work the way we think it does um so i don't know that this would necessarily be a hundred percent like accurate hypnotherapy um but there i feel like there definitely is an, an auditory component which they play into significantly in the movie which i thought was very interesting and uncomfy of the the spoons smart it ties a lot of it together sure. ties a lot of it together mm-hmm. yeah and i think it utilize it's nice because it utilizes something other than sight in the movie it, it brings in that sound component and just makes it a little bit more visceral for your audience you know yeah what was your favorite moment uh, favorite scene favorite part also well no no, no you know what dial it back feelings about rod <laughs> what are my feelings about rod i love rod he's the best rod is the actual bomb he is awesome can no i say something he's tsa you were rod <laughs> i am rod you would you why? Because you would go to those means to get somebody and save them. Oh my gosh, facts. I would go to the police first and be like, okay, you guys aren't listening to me. And then I would save the day. You would. Like, I was thinking, like, in my airport TSA car. And what I feel good about is knowing that I think all my friends would go to those links to save me. And Absolutely. I would too. Like, I'm like, if they're not taking me serious, I'm just going to find all the people who will and bring them with me. I will bring an army. Oh my gosh. Which apparently Loray Howery gets recognized by TSA agents all the time now. I love that. <laughs> That's, which is like, oh my gosh, that is so funny to me. That's so funny and so awesome. Which like props for showing TSA some love because they are so underappreciated. I love TSA. I just don't like I love TSA, TSA. Also, slowly. All, oh my gosh. I There's like the new machines, especially at the Indianapolis airport, that are supposed to be like better for screening. But dear God, do they move slower than molasses? Why are the new machines so slow? TSA, I'm answer to my question. Why they screened me for something the other day. Oh, did you get screened? Yeah. I mean, like they're they're random. I get I get randomly screened all the time. I get randomly screened, and because my family goes to the gun range so often, I always have this little fear in the back of my head that when they swab my hands, that they're gonna come up with GSR residue, and oh, I'm wow. gonna get detained. I've only had that happen. I've had my hands swabbed twice, and one of them was actually in my hometown, Evansville. And I don't remember where the other one was. Random. Yeah, I was just at like the okay. Evansville Airport. Yeah, that's Tiny, so random. Little baby Evansville Airport. Oh, um, but Gotta be careful. Yeah, it's like my dad's favorite TSA story is back at like the very beginning of like the Middle East War um, when he was deploying to Afghanistan, his whole unit armed with their like M4 standard issue guns and body armor and everything had to go through TSA. Wow. And so which is like hilarious in and of itself. But the. Even funnier part was like one of his buddies was having his bag gone through and he had like a little multi-tool nail clipper thing that wasn't allowed. My multi-tool got taken from me. I was so upset. Yes. And he was, (laughs) it got taken from him and 
they were, he's looking at them, looks at the loaded M4 hanging off his chest, looks back at the nail clipper multi-tool, and he's like, really? <laughs> but, but poor TSA is like, rules are rules, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't even make sense. Don't even make sense. I know, I don't, which I think they've since changed that. I think it's like blades under like two inches or something Dude, are allowed no. specifically for like multi-tool no. things, but I don't no. even know. Because my little Swiss army knife, like less, like an The one inch. that was attached to your keys? Yeah, they took it. They're like, you can have it oh. back if you go through. I was like, I'm not paying $35 You're like, I don't have this. time. No, I don't have time. Oh, that's frustrating. Well, now I know what to get you for Christmas. Love that. Well, what am I going to do with it? I got to take it off if I travel every week. It's got to go through your, yeah, it's got to go in your check bag. Yeah, I don't usually do those. Mm. And yeah, like, unless I go through um, Southwest, then I could because it's it flies free. But okay, this is way off topic. Mm. Um, <laughs> we go, we went down a TSA rabbit hole. Oops. Um, although I will say, everyone go follow TSA on Instagram because their social media person needs a raise. They are Every hysterical. One, oh my gosh, every one of their captions is all dad jokes. It's all dad jokes and puns about going through TSA, and it is a riot. <laughs> I'm going to tag TSA and be like, shout out to all TSA agents and the movie Get Out. Go listen to Cinematic Pulse. <laughs> um, so, before we wrap, what are, what's your favorite scene? Favorite movie? Favorite lines? Man. Did I say Ooh, favorite movie? I had what? Favorite movie. I just accepted it. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I, there were a couple things that I wanted to talk about still because we definitely have a chunk of, of time to cut off of our audio. We do. What, what are we at? But we're getting close to, we probably have a good Ooh, we uh, already an hour. eight. We've already been talking about this for an hour. We haven't. I probably have eight minutes I got to shave off this thing. Okay. Um, I, speaking of favorite lines, this wasn't my favorite line, but there this was a line that I wanted to unpack with you. And it was when he, it was when Chris is talking to Georgina and he's like trying to empathize with her a little bit, get, you know, a read on like where things are at. Um, and he says, all I know is sometimes if there's too many white people, I get nervous. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, what a powerful line. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to unpack that with you. Because, like, like that that line, uh, at its core, made me a little uncomfy. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I can't say the reverse of that. That's not allowed. <laughs> but, like, I was trying to understand, like, what he might mean. Because, like, right now, he's surrounded by white people. Mm-hmm. And he's probably a little bit nervous. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, what does that even mean? And I'm like, that his character has got to feel in the situation that he's in that, like, he can't be himself. Or yeah. that the the people that he's around that are, like, s- expecting a certain behavior that's, out that's of him. That's pretty much it. I think it's more so that... I feel like it's the kind of nervousness of, like, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells in yeah, this situation. I, I, would just, it, I think it comes down to, again, you know, kind of ingrained thoughts that people assume that black people might not be up to good things. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I get that feeling sometimes not so much in, like, metropolitan areas or packed areas. It's more so in rural areas where I'm like, okay... You're not going to see a lot of people Where who look like, like me. You feel like there might be a little bit of residue of some of stupidity hanging around. Yeah, a little ignorance mm-hmm. that might, you know, be lingering. But I don't I don't feel that 99% of the time. 99% of the time, I don't think people mind me at all or care that I'm around or doing whatever I'm doing. I mean, I like you. Thank you. <laughs> but I, 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 think, I think that's what his feelings are. Is like, you, okay, I am outnumbered as far as, like, people who look like me go. Um, right. I mean, you see him at like the at the the party, see like the only other brother at the party. And he's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> right. And it, I me being me, I, I can just talk to anyone. I don't feel like I have to go to my way to talk to a guy or a girl or someone who looks like me or someone who doesn't look at me. I think it's mm-hmm. just which the, you know that I'm the exact same way. Right. I, I think 99 percent of people are that way. They have no problem talking to just anybody. Mm-hmm. But I think it's yeah. just uh, un, uh unfortunate that it's just that ingrained thought that i don't want someone to assume i'm up to no good 
Right. That this is like an, that regardless of like the situation, mm-hmm. it's an eggshell moment. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you feel like you have to just, you know, watch your P's and Q's. Yeah. In that sure. kind of situation. For sure. Yeah. But I just thought that that was like a really powerful line. It was. And it, it hits every time he says that line, I think about that. And I'm like, yeah, it's unfortunate that sometimes we we think that way or anyone has to think that way, no matter what community you're part of or being your, anytime you mm-hmm. feel like you're not supposed to be where you are or you're unwelcome in the place that you are. Again, it doesn't matter. I feel like it doesn't matter what you look like, but no matter who you are, you have felt that feeling in some point, whether you're white yeah, around. For sure. It, again, it doesn't matter your skin tone. doesn't matter what you look right, like. Or like you, it, you can be like in high school, you popular kids or, exactly. or unpopular kids. It's just everyone That's what I was thinking felt is that like, uncomfortable been... feeling. Right. That we've all been the odd man out in a situation at some point. Mm-hmm. It's and, uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Whether you're just like the kid in high school who doesn't fit in with everybody else and you kind of like sit on your own, like at the lunch table or like you don't have like you don't have the latest Stanley Cup. <laughs> eh, who cares? Like, it's like but that's like a legit feeling right. that everyone can empathize with. Right. And I think that that's what that sentence was trying to say. And I mean like it makes poor like whatever is left of Georgina, I don't know what her I can't remember what her her actual name was, but um but whatever was left of her, it makes her cry. Yeah. Yeah, cuz you um, know the, and- the 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 little bit of her conscious that is there. 100% empathize with what he said because she can't leave where mm-hmm. she is. Like She's literally mm-hmm. embodied. She lives in her body, but she doesn't live with with her body. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like favorite scenes, um, it's, I would say, it's not favorite scene, but it's, it's the scene that gave me the most like <gasps> factor, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's when... Chris and Rose are out there talking and and again I already know at this at this point that Rose is in on it right and actually from the beginning I'm I'm thinking okay so writing this if if Rose is most likely if there's something that's going to happen and and the family is going to want to do something to him there's no way their daughter's not in on it so if she is in on it what capacity is she in on it she honestly is probably the bait she probably this is probably not the first person that she has brought home as like a sacrifice to her family and and so I'm already thinking through like okay how is she playing this because she's wearing the same colors as the rest of the family so I know she's in on it and then it flashes back to the dad holding up a finger and I was oh my gosh Chris is for sale and then it pans to pans back to them and they're talking pans back to the dad he holds up two fingers and it pans to the family and they put up their bingo cards and i was like no i was right mm-hmm. um that i think is the like one of the best scenes one one of the most evocative oh, yeah. scenes in the movie because you're like that's because... the point where there's no return of going back like no definitely not they're not right. as horrible that's as you the think turn. no uh, that's the turn of the movie uh-huh. is that scene Oh, I think that's for when me, you know, like, nope, everything just went to hell in a handbasket. I, and I, I think it's so evocative, too, because you're working with imagery that we all are aware of, you know, that auction and and black people being for sale. And even, you know, as as a white human aware of human history, I'm just like, oh, like it made me sick. Yeah, it made makes me you sick. sick. It made my skin crawl. And you're just like, oh, it just rem- it reminds you that that is real. Because yeah. you, you don't see it anymore, uh-huh. you know? And it just reminds you that that was a very real point in human history. And I was just like, that was the most powerful scene for me. That was like a gut punch scene for me. And it was done so well in that back and forth of his conversation. And then back to the auction. Huh. I think, for me, my two favorite scenes. I'll do my favorite line is still literally when Andre says, get out. Because mm-hmm. it's not till the end of the film where you understand what he means. Mm-hmm. Not truly. Not I mean, like, truly, but you, you, you know you're that like, something's going on, but you don't know he's why. He's trying to Why do you just have him freak out? And I'm like, dude, why right. couldn't you say, get out of this house, run? <laughs> like, you could have been Right, right. That's but it. That's All the... he got was two words out. <gasps> that's writing. Hold on, I have to stop you because I did notice something about production in that moment. And it's when 
he had his sound on and the flash on Mm -hmm. in that moment. And we have all experienced that at some point in time where we've gone to take a picture and not realized that our sound was on. And now everyone knows that you took a picture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and, And then what they did with turning all of the sound off right in that moment afterwards, it... Like, that was so good because that's what that moment feels like. Well, not only that, think about, go a step further and think about the light. He's finally in the light. He moves into sunlight as he's going Mm. up towards Chris. I mean, you also have the flash of light, you know. Mm -hmm. But light, if we're going into, like, if we're going to deep dive into meaning in that point, I I, I like the sunlight. Right, that there's some sort of revelation that that's what that symbolizes. Interesting. But I, I did notice, like, the, the sound in that moment. And I was like, ooh, that was good. Oh, yeah. And that's when that Brother starts so playing good. again. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Um, there, was one, there was one other thing that, like, I, I felt like was so Hold heartbreaking. On. My turn. What? Oh, yeah, you still were giving me your other favorite scene. Go ahead. Also, we're getting close to time, so we're going to have to wrap no i could talk about this movie for so long um gosh darn i had two and i can't remember the first one was but one of my favorite scenes is when chris pulls the cotton out of his ears yes i remember i love that it was cotton and i was like oh my gosh the first time i saw that i literally started clapping i was like oh this movie brilliant wonderful lovely great my jordan peele deserves all the oscars I was like, holy cow, talk about, like, reclamation, taking stuff mm-hmm. back. I could have been anything. It mm-hmm. could have been anything. Nope, it was cotton. And I was like, who dang, we are not pulling any punches with this movie, are we? Good grief. I'm trying to remember what the other one was. You continue with your thought, and I'll, I'll try to remember what my other, my other favorite scene or moment was. The other, the other, the other scene where I was like happy and then got like immediately sad and it was just so well done because was it the end? I do love true crime. No, oh. no, it was not the end. Um, it, cause I do, I do love true crime. And so unfortunately I know what a lot of these interactions look like. And it's when Rod goes to the police, mm-hmm. right? He goes to the police and he gets a sit down with the detective and he's trying to report Chris missing. And he says, you know, my boy Chris is missing. And she immediately grabs a pen. She's like, oh, my gosh, your son is missing. What's, like, give me the details. And he's like, no, 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 my my boy, my friend, my friend Chris, he's 26 years old. He's missing. And you just see her face just drop. And she's just listening to him. And and you just have, you can read that person's body language. And and I, I got so excited at first when he went to the police and he was talking to a black woman. And you have this moment of, like, oh my gosh, he's talking to someone who is going to understand, you know? He has like a kindred spirit in front of him and he's not going to run into the problems that so many people run into trying to file a missing persons report with the police, which if you have listened to true crime at all, you know that trying to file a missing persons report is like one of the hardest things to do in this country. So often you get police who tell you that it's not a crime to go missing. They're an adult. They can go missing if they want to. They probably just packed up and started a new life somewhere. Blah, blah, blah. Which like shout out to all of our listeners. If you don't listen to true crime, I need to tell you right now because I need everyone to know this. You do not have to wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report. That is some bull that got cooked up in movies that unfortunately real life police officers believe and they are incorrect not one single 50 in our 50 states has a law that says you have to wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report if they are an adult that is incorrect and i just saw in that scene that that's where that detective's brain was was this isn't a missing person i'm not going to file a report and you think for one shining moment that, like, the police are going to get involved, that Rod's going to help, like, save the day by filing a missing person support. They're going to look into it. The family's going to get busted. But then, no. Instead, she brings in two other detectives to laugh at him. And, oh, boy, did I want to cry. I want to. Watching that scene, it just made my heart so heavy. I remember my other scene I really loved. Yes. Um, what was your other scene? I'm going to ask you about it first. At the end. Oh, boy. Okay. When the police car comes up and you see the lights what was your Mm -hmm. thought i was already thinking about this i literally wrote it down um i 
was so happy to see Rod at the end because mm-hmm. I was just thinking about how if Chris ultimately went to the police, they would not believe him. And they would probably think that he did it. You see you, you see a, a family that has been murdered, the house lit on fire, and Chris is the only survivor. Like, there is... And, and he the police roll up as he's choking Rose out. Yep. Right? And I'm like, there is no way you can spin this where he doesn't come out looking like the bad guy. And if you don't believe me, not you, but you proverbial listeners, you. If you don't believe me that that is very much something real that would happen, go watch the Netflix documentary American Nightmare. It is about a girl who literally gets kidnapped and released and the police don't believe her. In fact, they go so far as to publicly malign her and say that she perpetrated a hoax and wasted police resources only for them to later figure out and arrest the guy who actually really did kidnap her, hold her for 48 hours, and eventually release her. It really happens. People really are the victims of crimes, go to the police, and the police don't believe them. Real crime that occurred. Think about how you would feel in almost any other movie when a police officer arrives in a horror film. You are so happy. Right, you think, oh my gosh, help is here. And this is the first time in a film I remember going, oh no, when the police mm -hmm. showed up. And I was like, Jordan Peele, you son of a gun. You knew exactly what you were doing. And here's the thing too. He wrote a secondary ending where he gets arrested. Oh. There is a secondary mm. ending out there where he gets arrested because most people would have thought, and I hate I hate it, but most people like have that gut feeling. Like I said, you're like, oh my God, no. But then Rod comes out and you're like, thank you. Thank yes! you. Like thank never have you. I been so happy to see TSA. <laughs> and you see airport because it goes to airport first. You're like, oh, airport. Oh, man, oh, it gives me goosebumps gosh. thinking about it now because that, that's a very powerful scene. That's that's honestly it's so powerful. Probably one and of the most profo- powerful scenes in that film. I wrote down this like after after that point, that was when I was able to really pinpoint what this movie was about. Mm-hmm. Um, and like to me, I wrote down like the film isn't ultimately about race, mm-hmm. not entirely. It's about a cult that wants to live forever. And race in the movie is used more as a vehicle to highlight certain societal and social discrepancies that are part of the black experience. Yeah. And it makes you, it, it, it uses like the rest of the horror movie and this cult to highlight those instances. Because exactly what you said, you get to the end of the movie and you see everything that's happened. And I'm thinking about, oh my gosh, if the police show up, they're going to think that he did it. And that is like a gut-wrenchingly real reality for a lot of black americans and definitely chris's reality in there like everything shows up he's gonna be thinking the exact same thing with the police roll up and he's like oh i'm so going to jail yeah you know yep. there's no story that i can spin that and i just again i just thought of that netflix documentary which if you have time it's only three episodes definitely watch it Sounds it good. is gut-wrenching yeah, it's called American Nightmare. And this poor girl, it's a tr- it's a true story. This poor girl got kidnapped and came home and the police didn't believe her. It was like a, it was like a gone girl thing where they thought that she she disappeared and they thought that when her boyfriend went to the police, they thought he did it. They thought he killed her and and that her body was going to turn up somewhere and he was trying to report a crime and they didn't even investigate it or try to find her because they just thought that he killed her. Mm. Like yeah, like un- understandable because we have plenty of situations like that, but not not the truth. Right. And they got so blindsided by what they thought was true that they weren't able to look at the actual truth of the situation. And and so just having come off, I literally watched that yesterday. So having come off of that and then seeing Chris's experience, I was like, oh no, Chris is going to jail. And it was just, it was so good. It was so well done. As much as we could continue to talk about this film, we are way over time. (sighs) We are way over time. I'm really hoping that we had a lot of puttering around that you have to edit. I hope so, because this is going (laughs) to... Because I have so much more to talk about for this movie. We'll talk about it again next year. (laughs) Or at Halloween. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. All right. Well, that concludes our episode. Oh, hold on. Pause. Cherie, what are we doing next week? We never figured it out. Yes, we did. We did? Hold on. No, I know we're doing warm bodies for for um oh. for Valentine's Day. 
I, but uh, we didn't figure out the week in between. Oh, I wasn't going to be able to record the week in between. That's why I wanted to do this one so badly. Oh, oh okay. I so wanted I to do this one so we would have something to put out next week. But I don't right. think I'll be able to record. That's why we were going to record, I think, so close after I returned for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Unless you wanted okay, to do right. like a little mini sode on something. Well, Percy Jackson will be rapping mm-hmm. this coming Tuesday. So I will have... Definitely some stuff to talk about about that. So I might be talking about Percy Jackson next week, everybody. Hey. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So if I can get my act together, we'll be talking about Percy Jackson next week. So get excited. Get excited. Maddie, wherever you are, I know you're excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, make sure to be here next Friday to tune in because we'll have something for you. So roll credits. Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by Cherie Jackson. The episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Please consider supporting us by becoming a member of our Patreon, where you can get access to show notes, vote on our upcoming episodes, and get exclusive downloads of our episode art. Thank you so much for listening, because we just checked your Cinematic Pulse. Cinematic Pulse.